Can we now finally rise from our seats again and arise for the scripture reading? Our reading comes from Matthew 27, 45 through 50. Matthew 27, 45 through 50. I'll read it for us. Now from the sixth hour, there was a darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama, lama savaktani. That is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the others said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may now be seated. Heavenly Father, we thank you. God, we pray. We thank you for the adding of your number onto our church and onto your people. And Lord, it is because of your work and what you have done. And so Lord, we thank you. We give praise to you. And God, as we hear the word of God, we pray that our hearts would receive it not as just information, not just as, as, as facts, but Lord, may it lead us into worship. Be with your people. Let there be a yes and amen, because all yes and amen are found in Christ. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. The cross is central to the message of the gospel. For the gospel is the proclamation of the death and the burial, and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Without the cross, there is no gospel. Without the cross, Christianity is no different than any other, any other religion in the world. Without the cross, we reduce Christ into a moral example and teacher. The cross is the climax of not just the life of Jesus. It is the climax of Scripture itself, of God's redemptive plan of the world. And today we want to talk about the cross and what it means for us as God's people. And we're going to zoom and focus in on the last few hours of Jesus' life right up until the point of his death. And even though the verses are very few, they're not lacking in meaning. What exactly is happening at the cross? We're going to spend some time today. And there are three specific events that is captured on the last hours of our Savior. And I hope that by looking at each of these events, a greater understanding, a greater faith, a greater worship together as a church. Amen? Amen. The first event that we see here is darkness. If you look at verse 45, now, from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. You see, the way they measured time was by the sun, by sunlight. And when sun broke, it was generally 6 a.m., so that was zero. And so right now, at the sixth hour, it is 12 o'clock. It is noon. And at 12 o'clock, the sun is at its highest point. This is the brightest time of the day. And yet, while this is the brightest time of the day, there is complete darkness. There's this unusual, mysterious darkness all over the land. One can argue this is probably a natural occurrence. This is a sandstorm, maybe a solar eclipse. No. 
This is a supernatural event because the Son of God is dying on the cross. This is not just any kind of darkness. In fact, this was prophesied. If you read at Amos 5.20, Is not the day of the Lord darkness, and not light, and gloom with no brightness in it? On that day, declares the Lord God, I will make the sun go down at noon, and darken the earth in broad daylight. Zephaniah, the great day of the Lord is near. A day of wrath is that day, a day of distress and anguish, a day of ruin and devastation, a day of clouds and thick darkness. If you remember the Old Testament as well, if you go back to Egypt and the Exodus, this was the ninth plague. Darkness fell upon the enemies of Israel. And it was followed by the Passover, where God, the Spirit of God, went through house to house, door to door, taking the firstborn from every animal to Pharaoh himself. What is this darkness? This is the wrath of God. This is God's anger. As gruesome and painful crucifixion was physically, there was a greater and far more significant punishment that Jesus was facing. All of God's judgment was being poured into Jesus at this moment. This was hell. And this wasn't just the sins of a few people. This was the sins of all of God's people. And not just the past, not just the sins of the Old Testament, from the sins, and this is where this is so perplexed, the sins of the Old Testament, sins of the New Testament, and on. If you're God's people, your sins are being poured into Jesus right now. We're witnessing the Son of God, the sinless, perfected, perfect one, experiencing the price of sin, the punishment of sin for the next three hours. This darkness was not the absence of God. It was his very presence. This is not God the Father. This is God the right, righteous judge. And he is throwing hell into his son right now. This should elevate and raise for us the gravity of sin. As sinners part of a broken world, we may naturally undermine the significance of sin into a mistake, into just an error. But we can see the gravity of sin when we look at the punishment. The Son of God is dying. What is the punishment of sin? Eternity in hell. This very darkness for an eternity. Why is it then, at times, we undermine sin? Why is it? And one reason is that we focus on the actual sin. We focus on the action of the sin. We focus on the act. But there's another perspective. If we want to see the gravity of sin, focus also on who the sin is being done against. Or in other words, who is the object of that sin? So for example, is there a difference between killing an animal 
versus killing a human being? Absolutely. But the act is the same. It could be the same method of killing. But there's a difference. Why? Because the object is different. A human being has far greater worth and value than an animal does. And so a punishment for killing an animal versus killing a human being, the punishment should differ because the value and the worth of that person, of that animal, is vastly different. So don't you see, when we sin against God, we sin against someone who has infinite worth, infinite value, eternal value. This is the gravity of our sins. It's not just an error. It's not just a mistake. We're sinning against the highest of highs, the Lord of lords. And this is what sin deserves. When we sin against God, we are sinning against someone who has infinite worth. And any sin committed against God who who is infinite rightfully deserves an infinite punishment. This is what sin deserves. And this is how long it takes to punish sin as limited, finite creatures as ourselves. Infinity. See, these aren't just life sentences. This is an eternity sentences. And Jesus Christ right now is experiencing that. Is there any hope? This is where we see the good news. You know, we can at many times elevate the power of sin. How great sin is, the evil and brokenness of sin. But don't stop there, church. Don't just elevate sin. Because when sin increases, what increases all the more? Grace. Grace. When sin increases, grace abounds even more. That we see the gravity of sin, but we also see the depth and grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. And what we're seeing right now, Jesus told his disciples, I am the way. And when he's saying that, he's saying, I am the only way to salvation. And why does he say that? What does he mean? This is what he means. See, Jesus Christ, when he came on this earth, he was not just fully man, but he was fully God. And this is so important. Because as he was fully man, he had to be a man to be our substitute, to take our place as equals, that he dies as a man. But Jesus Christ also is a God. He is fully God because only God can take the wrath of God. He is an infinite person and he is going to take upon infinite, infinite death upon him. Eternal death and darkness onto him for all his people into himself. And Jesus Christ will pay it off perfectly. He will satisfy the wrath of God. A God of infinite love came down to earth to die on the cross because only he who is the infinite God and eternal in nature can pay off the punishment of an infinite God for all his people. Praise be to God. That is the good news, everybody. As we learn that Jesus Christ is fully God and fully man, that's not just the truth. It's not just the fact. We should worship that because it's only him. He is the only way to the Father. 
the passage for me that captures this moment is 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That is who Jesus is and that is what he's done. Because of Jesus, this eternal darkness of God's wrath will never be experienced again for believers. Amen. That is the news. And church, I pray that don't let this be just a mere reminder. That's a good reminder. No, let this be a revelation. Let this be the rhythm of our lives. Let this be the fabric that holds our life together. Let this be the new wineskin that holds our life and our soul. Let this be the foundation that we stand on. This isn't just a reminder for us today, but this is the very air that we breathe daily. I have been crucified in Christ. Jesus Christ was my substitute. Amen. My goodness. That he has taken upon the wrath of God upon himself for me. And when Jesus Christ was born, he was born in the night. If you remember on that night, it was bright because it was a shining star. The irony is that with Christ on his death, on the brightest time of the day, there is complete darkness. He did that for you and me. He was the hope of the world, the most innocent one. And at the end of his life, he was the most guilty of men, even though he did not commit any sin, because he took our place. Amen. For those of us who are not of, my, of the faith, this is our prayer. You might believe, if you're not of the faith, that you're not welcome at our church. No, in fact, our church is for you. We want people like you here in our church to hear this good news. Because here's the truth of the matter, and this might be hard news, but we share this in love. You see, this darkness has passed only for those who are in Christ. If you're not in Christ, this darkness is coming again, as the scripture says. It is coming. And this time... The first time it came, it continued. Life continued. The age of redemption continued. The church continued. But the second time it comes, it's over. It's a period. That's the end of the sentence. It's done. We pray that you hear the gospel. We pray that you hear this very news, that Jesus Christ took upon the wrath of God, the darkness and hell for you and for me. We pray that you would hear this news and it would bring such great joy to you. Amen. The second event that we see here is a word called dereliction. And a word for that, another word for that is the word abandonment. If you read in verse 46, and about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is one of the saddest passages of scripture. It's incredibly sad. About the ninth hour, so three hours passed, it's about 3 p.m. After the infinite, eternal amount of wrath was absorbed into Christ, Jesus Christ was crying out. Another word for that is that Jesus Christ was screaming. And the nature of this cry is captured in Psalm 22. My God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? 
Jesus Christ was crying for comfort. He just received hell. He just received the wrath of God upon him. And so he was going to the one who comforted him the most, God. So there he was looking for God, looking for him. But there was silence. There was no voice, nothing to be heard. What kind of suffering was Jesus experiencing? This is what one theologian puts it. This is the cry of abandonment. Jesus Christ was utterly alone. He was totally by himself. And there's a great mystery to this. Because here at this moment, there was a relational separation between the father and the son. And does that mean that Jesus Christ was no longer part of the Trinity. Does that mean that the Father and Son no longer knew each other? And these are questions that even theologians themselves wrestled with and were perplexed by. But here's what we do know. Jesus was forsaken. There was no comfort. There were no words. There was nobody for Jesus. All there was was silence. And there's a weight to this, especially when we consider the kind of relationship God the Father and God the Son had together. The perfect, eternal relationship. You know, imagine if a friend abandons a friend. There's a lot of hurt and pain to that. Or when a parent abandons a child, greater pain. Or when a spouse abandons a spouse when there's a greater intimate intimacy between a relationship, there's also a greater pain when there's abandonment. Jesus Christ, who had the most perfect relationship with the Father, the Father has abandoned him because he is filled with sin. You know, when my son, he experiences pain, he goes to the person he loves the most, his mom. One time, the, he hates fire alarms, and one time he, uh, the fire alarm went off, and he ran to the nearest adult, and he, he saw, it was me. But then he saw his mom and the, his periphery, and so he turned away <laughs> to his mom. His mom brings comfort, and she doesn't do anything. She just hugs him. But you see, her presence is healing. A pat on the back. Words to say it's okay. A hug. That warmth. Jesus Christ didn't have any of that. He was yearning for that. Yearning for a word from the Father after experiencing such hell. My God, my God, a call of affection. Jesus really wanted the presence and comfort of his father, and there was silence. And the silence is even more highlighted and emphasized by the bystanders in verse 47, if you read. And some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah. And if you read verse 49, but the others said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. Although this was said with ridicule, 
mocking Christ, there was a lot of truth to this. Because if the father would not intervene to spare his son, then certainly Elijah wouldn't come either. Jesus would die a lonely death by himself. No one to help him. His disciples all ran away. This is a preview of what hell is. Punishment without comfort. Punishment without relief. Punishment completely alone and isolated. Punishment with just silence. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is not just a rhetorical question. There's an answer to this. I have forsaken my son. I have forsaken you for them, for my people. I'm going to abandon you so that I can redeem my children into my family. Jesus Christ went through every measure to be the sinner substitute once and for all so that when you and I are called sons and daughters, please believe this, that this is a declarative once and for all statement and reality sealed and approved by God himself. That Jesus Christ was abandoned so that you and I would be adopted into his family. If you look at verse 48, and it goes even more. One of them at once ran and took a sponge and filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. What's going on here? Why this minute detail? What is this? You see, Jesus was offered wine twice. If you read at verse 34, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gal, but when he tasted it, he would not drink it. These are two different wines. If you leave that on the slide, these are two different wines. Typically, the first wine was given to criminals who would face crucifixion to help reduce the pain. It was mixed with a sedative, gal, with gal. And when Jesus Christ, he tasted it, he refused it immediately because he knew. As, thir as thirsty as he was, he just carried the cross. And I recently went, and one of the things that I've learned is that that road to the cross was uphill. And it's, it's a pretty steep uphill. And so just imagine how thirsty Christ is right now. But because it's a sedative, he wanted to endure the cross with his full consciousness, with his full mind. He did not want anything to hinder his mental state. The second wine was different. The second wine was not a sedative, but it was known to quench the thirst. Effectively, it's a cheaper form of water. The soldiers would be standing there long hours, two to three days sometimes, because that was the nature of crucifixion. And so they would drink this wine because it was a better alternative than water. Jesus Christ drank this wine. Why? Because he wanted to endure this punishment as long as he could. Do you see the heart of the Savior here? He entered into crucifixion with a clear mind. By not taking the first drink and by taking the second drink, he sought to prolong his suffering. Jesus was not taking any shortcuts here. He is here to endure the cross, to finish the work of redemption. Amen. That is our Savior. There may be those of us here in this room 
who know the bitter taste of abandonment, who know the bitter taste of rejection. And we're afraid that God can abandon us too. Maybe you're in this stage of life right now where you're asking yourself, my God, where are you? Why have you forsaken me? But while that might be something we feel, something that we might be telling ourselves, preach this to yourselves. My God, you have forsaken your son so that you would never abandon me. I am yours and you are mine. And let that truth be a truth that brings us life and lifts us up from the depths, from the pits. Let it be a light that we would experience. There may be scenes of life where we feel abandoned by God, but go back to this truth. Christ has been abandoned so that I would be adopted. Amen. For those of us who may have walked away from the faith, your father is waiting. Your father is waiting for you to come because this was the price he paid so you would be his. For those of us who struggle to believe in Christ, I say this. Consider this. Why would Jesus go through the cross? Why? Why would he do this? Jesus Christ did not come to take away our freedom or our money. Jesus Christ came to restore our lives so that our lives would be life to the full. Jesus Christ came here to bring us home and he will go through hell to do so. I, I pray that you would consider these truths and consider why would this Savior do such a thing. Finally, we see the third event is death. Darkness, dereliction, and finally death. If you read verse 50, Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. It's a surprise that Jesus had enough strength to cry out again. And that's why the centurion who was right next to you and guarding, he said, truly, this is the Son of God. Because he has seen many crucifixions. He has seen people. Because the way the nature of crucifixion is to gradually tire people out. And you slowly suffocate and die. But there is this immense strength that Jesus had at the very last moment. He, he cried out with a loud voice. And finally, he yielded his spirit. Question for us. How did Jesus die? Who killed Jesus? And here's this quote I have. Who delivered up Jesus to die? Not Judas for money. Not Pilate for fear. Not the Jews for envy, but the Father for love. Just take that in. Receive that. But the Father for love. This was the plan from the very beginning. Jesus Christ did not come on this earth to be an example to us. To teach as much as he was those things. But Jesus Christ primarily came here to die. This was not, this was divine intervention to save God's people. Jesus Christ yielded up his own spirit. Man did not kill him. His life was upon himself. He says in John 10, I have authority to lay down my life. And I also have the same authority to bring my life back up again. 
Jesus Christ gave up his life because this was the story of Scripture, Genesis 3.15. If you read with me, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This is the thesis statement of Scripture. This is how the promise of Scripture from the very beginning of time And so this is why when we read Matthew and you get to read, you get to see it begins with genealogy because it's beginning to, it's trying to show us that Jesus Christ is that seed. He has finally come to die as he he steps on the head of the serpent that the serpent also bites his heel. At the cost of his life, Jesus Christ came so that he would usher in salvation for his people. Jesus Christ was not killed. He died for our sake because of his love for us. Christianity is not about God saving good and moral people. Because if that's true, why is the Son of God dying on the cross? Christianity is about God saving sinners through his Son. Romans 6.10 says this, For the death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. See, the cross not just marks the death of Jesus, but it also marks the death of myself, of God's people. Hear this, everybody. See, I don't live because Jesus died. No, because Jesus died, I die. I have died. If you're in Christ, this is how we were supposed to die. But it doesn't end there because resurrection is coming. And because he lives, I now live in him. That is the good news. That he doesn't stay dead, but the stone has rolled away, the tomb is empty, and he is risen Indeed, he is risen. That is the good news. In order for us to have new life, we have to die in Christ over and over again. I am not me. I am bought by the blood and life of Jesus Christ. So I die. Every day I die. Every day I put myself to death in Christ. And then I will experience resurrection life in me where I am a new creation. The powers of sin that once bound me, I can now say no, because you have no power over me. I could say no to sin, and I could say yes and amen to Christ. Yes to Christ, because now Christ is my Savior. I am now fallen in the power of Christ himself. Sin, you are no longer my master, but Christ you are. Satan will remind us constantly that Jesus Christ is still dead. He is still dead. You know how he does that? Every day. Every day. He'll haunt us in our thoughts, ways, and he'll make us believe we're worthy of abandonment. That Jesus Christ, that God does not actually love us because of our shame and our guilt that we're unwanted children because of how we live our lives, that his wrath is still upon us, that God is against us. Every day, those thoughts, it's a battle, isn't it, everybody? Satan is a great historian. He brings up our history all the time, brings it always up. 
But while Satan brings up our history, we also bring up history as well. We bring up the news of Jesus Christ, the historical event that has happened. And we respond back to Satan with the word of God. Satan, you're right. I was unworthy. I was unworthy. But because of Christ and what he has done on the cross, now I am robed with Jesus Christ himself. And now I have greater worth than everything in this, in this world. Because I am now robed and, and I have been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ himself. Satan, you are right. I had shame. I had guilt. And those things blocked me from the Father. But now I am free of that shame and guilt. Because now I am called sinless one. Perfect. Because of what Christ has done for me. And I have been attributed his work because of faith. You're right. I was an unwanted child. In fact, I was an enemy of God. A child of wrath. But God the Father came down from heaven to earth. God the Son came down from heaven to earth and called unwanted orphans family and brought us home. You're right. God's wrath was upon me. I deserved hell and death for an eternity. But Jesus Christ died for me, a broken sinner, and now I am called saint. Yes, you're right. God was against me because I was against him. But because he loved me, now I love him. That is the news, everybody. This is what happened on the cross. And this beautiful truth, this wonderful truth, the more we grasp this of what happened on the cross, it'll melt our hearts. It will bring him honor and glory that he truly deserves, not just part of my life, but all of my life, that I'll seek to honor and worship him until the very end. When I, put, when I am put to death just like Christ, there will be new life. I want to end with a hymn. I bless the Christ of God. I rest on love divine. And with unfaltering lip and heart, I call this Savior mine. His cross dispels each doubt I bury in his tomb. Each thought of unbelief and fear, each lingering shade of gloom, I praise the God of grace. I trust his truth and might. He calls me his. I call him mine. My God, my joy and light. Tis he who saveth me and freely pardon gives. I love because he loveth me. I live because he lives. Amen. Let's praise the Lord. Let's give glory to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you that as you experience that on the cross, that was supposed to be me. The darkness, the abandonment, death was what I was to face. But you have given a mysterious gift called the gospel to say, that it is by faith, not because of what we've done, but because of what Christ has done. And now you call me yours. Lord, I love because you love me. Lord, I'm a child because you called me. Lord, I am your bride because you are the faithful husband pursuing an adulteress 
woman who constantly seeks for the things of this world. And yet you are the one who is named faithful. And so, Lord, we pray, may there be conviction today. And God, Lord, today, may the cross not just be a reminder that we do yearly during the time of Easter, but Lord, may this be the very fabric of our lives daily. Lord, may we live the cross. May we wake up every morning dead in Christ and alive in Him. And Lord, may we experience that resurrection truth in life here today. And so Lord, for this Passion Week, Lord, may that be our prayer. What are the things that need to die in Christ? What are the things that I have my hope and significance rooted in that is not of God? God, we pray that you would kill the sin before the sin kills us. And God, that we would be truly your children who seeks to be near the Father that yearns for his presence. God, we pray that there are those here in this room who experience abandonment and rejection. God, we pray that you would heal their hearts to show it is the God of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit who would never abandon his children. Lord, draw near to them that even as they run away from you, God, we know in Scripture that you chase after sinners. You run after sinners. You're the father who foolishly ran after the younger son, your younger son in front of all the world because you love us. As so Lord, we pray, may there be power this morning. May there be, may there be an, an, just an unraveling of the power of sin here and renewal in Christ. And God, we thank you. We love you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.